0: We do have some folks in the back to take our children downstairs for Children's Church, so you children head on back there, and we hope you have a great time together. Let's pray together as they go. Father, we thank you for the great privilege it is to learn from you, to open your word. We thank you for these songs that we've been able to sing that convey the message of your word as well. And we pray that now you would open our hearts and minds as we look at Luke 22, as we think about what you experienced in the Garden of Gethsemane. We, Lord, always feel inadequate to be able to even try to look behind the veil of your suffering. But we pray that as we look at these verses, you would just impress upon our hearts what you did, and why you did it, and how much you love each one of us. Bless our children and those who share with them, and we ask your blessings now on this time, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's open our Bibles to Luke 22. We'll be observing the Lord's Supper uh, at the end of our service, but for a few moments we're going to look at these verses that uh, convey an experience that Jesus had that is really amazing. It's it's almost beyond description. Uh, the scripture describes it, but yet there's something even more there than we can fully comprehend. And yet the Lord put it here in his word. He inspired it so that we can understand it and know enough to be able to to see his amazing grace and his amazing love. But we can never exhaust it. We can never get fully to the bottom of it. I, there's not even words for me to describe to you what I'm trying to say. But as a preacher, year after year we come to these passages. And yet they are fresh. They are new. And they are beyond description. But we're going to try to describe. We're going to let God by his spirit, speak to our hearts. Look at Luke 22, verses 39 to 46. This begins from now to Easter, which is April 12th. We're going to, on Sunday morning, we're going to be looking at this journey that Jesus took from the garden of Gethsemane all the way through the crucifixion and then the resurrection. And so I hope you'll come and And open your heart to God's word each Sunday uh, as we move toward Easter. In verse 39 of Luke 22, it says, Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation." And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray lest you enter into temptation. The incredible suffering of our Lord did not just take place on the cross it began before he got to the cross and we see this mysterious experience in the garden of Gethsemane we see from this point on through that he was determined to go to the cross to pay for our sin and to offer eternal life to all who will believe in him but this was a pivotal moment This was a moment of great temptation, but it was also a moment of great consecration, conviction, and commitment. In verses 39 and 40, we see that where the will of God works, temptation lurks. Where the will of God works, where God is at work, where His will is being carried out, There's going to be temptation there, too. Notice that Jesus, and this is after he had instituted the Lord's Supper, he takes his disciples out to this Garden of Gethsemane, which was on the Mount of Olives. It was across the Kidron Brook from Jerusalem's east wall. Many say it was about a 15-minute walk from the upper room where he had instituted the Lord's Supper. Uh, for them to get to this garden. Gethsemane, the word, means olive press. And so you heard the choir singing about the olive trees. There would have been an olive grove there. uh, And some of those trees had been there for a very, very long time. I've not ever been there. I know several here have been to the Holy Land. They say there's still some of those olive trees that are there. And so uh, that's why... As we think about the word Gethsemane, how fitting to what Jesus was about to go through. It means olive press when you think about uh, olives being pressed to get the oil out of them. Here Jesus was about to go through an excruciating experience. He was pressed in that garden, facing what he was called to do, what he came to do, which was to go to the cross, to be the great sacrifice, not only for our sin, but for the sin of the world. And that in that experience, he would literally have to become sin. Now, this is the sinless, perfect son of God who knew no sin, who was perfectly holy. And as he looked into this cup the cup of suffering that was to come, he knew that he was going to become sin. That's what the Bible says. That he not only bore our sin, he became sin for us. And so all the sin of the world, at one moment, in one place, in one man, the sinless Son of God, he was going to give himself over to take our place and become sin. And so all of the wrath of God against sin would be poured out upon him on that cross. This is why it was such agony for him. It's not that he didn't want to do what he came to do. I don't think he was tempted not to give his life for us. But as he looked into that cup of suffering, what it meant, the sin. To a holy God. This was a moment of great agony for him. In Mark's account. It mentions Jesus taking Peter, James and John. On into the garden with him. To a a place. And he said watch and pray. And then he went even a little further. Luke here only uh, records. He focuses on what happened to Jesus. What Jesus did. And so the disciples were there. But Jesus was very alone. It was, in this moment, it was him and his Father. It was Jesus and what was before him. I think it's interesting. One uh, writer has said that this struggle took place in the Garden, in the Garden of Gethsemane. The writer said, the Garden of Gethsemane contrasts geographically with the Garden of Eden. In the first garden, Adam faced the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and surrendered to the plot of Satan. In this garden, the last Adam, Jesus, faced the looming tree of Calvary and yielded to the plan of God. The first Adam asserted his own will to the ruin of the human race, And Jesus abandoned his own will for the redemption of the human race. And so here in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was going to set his face to the cross. And from that moment forward, he was determined to give his life for us a parallel passage is mark 14 if you want to read that verses 32 to 42 and there it describes Jesus being in utter agony as he looked into the cup the cup of the father's will that was before him this cup of suffering in the old testament to drink the cup was often used as a as an idiom or a metaphor For going fully through an experience. And so for Jesus to be praying about let this cup pass from me. He's talking about this experience that was before him. What he was going to have to go through was this cup. And he was going to drink that cup. Down to the very dregs of it. To become our Savior. In Mark 14, 33, we see that Jesus, it says, began to be troubled and deeply distressed. The word translated troubled there means to be amazed, to be alarmed, or to even be terrified. The word translated deeply distressed means to be in anxiety, to be distressed, uncomfortable, troubled. In fact, we even read... In Mark 14, 34, He told the disciples there, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Have you ever been in such emotional distress? Something that's happened in your life. It might be the, the death of someone or an experience you're going through and in the, in the deepest part of that experience the worst moment have you ever felt so full of sorrow and distress that you thought you might die this is what jesus said to the disciples my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death jesus was wrenched the son of god fully god fully man And in the face of this suffering, not just the suffering, but the reality, he would become sin. In all of his holiness, he would become sin. I think that is what was so difficult for him. To know he would bear the alienation from God that sin brings. And we'll see that later when we... See, Jesus on the cross, remember in that darkness when it became dark on the cross? He cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, you see, Jesus experienced for all people, in that one moment, Jesus experienced separation from the Father. He experienced what it means to be a sinner. He wasn't a sinner, but he took our sin. Took our place. And he wasn't just doing it for one person, but for the sin of the world. See, this is what I mean. It's difficult to really get your mind around what was happening here. But it was it was, in, it was amazing. And when we talk about amazing grace, this is why we call it amazing. It's really really beyond description. And so Jesus here was looking into this cup, experiencing this great suffering of soul. Temptation is going to be there when God is at work in your life. Now, Jesus wasn't going to yield to that temptation, but be sure that whenever you are seeking to do the will of God in your life, the adversary will be there to put another way in your pathway. He'll try. He'll try. And so be prepared for that and do like Jesus, pray the the way Jesus prayed, and trust the power of God to help you. God's will, you see, does not always mean comfort and ease. There are preachers that preach that, and they draw big crowds doing it. It's what we want to hear, but it isn't true. The will of God is not always that we have comfort and ease. Now, we can have eternal life, and someday we will be in heaven where there is no more sin and no more suffering, but on this earth, there is no promise from God that if you're doing what God wants you to do, everything will be, will be easy and, and your way will be clear and there won't be any pain, won't be any suffering if you just have enough faith. No. That isn't the gospel. That isn't the Bible. That isn't the example of Jesus. As Jesus looked into this cup of God's will, the will that would bring salvation for us, It meant physical pain ahead. It meant emotional pain. It meant spiritual pain. All at once, Jesus looked at that that will of God, and he was willing to do it. I think we see here the greatest prayer of faith ever prayed. Now, the text doesn't say this is the greatest prayer of faith ever prayed. I really believe that, though. One reason is Jesus said it. There's no greater, there's no greater example of, of anything than Jesus himself. And secondly, the circumstances. Jesus prayed this prayer in spite of the suffering that he was about to endure. For him to say, Father, if it, if it be possible, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me. In his flesh, as a human being, he was 100% man and 100% God at the same time. But he was fully, fully man. He didn't want to suffer. He didn't want to experience what was ahead. In his flesh, he shrank back from that, as any of us would. And he said, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But he didn't stop there. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I would propose to you this is a prayer of faith, the greatest prayer faith it is a model for us there are those who preach and teach that when you pray for something if you if you uh, don't just name it and claim it you don't have enough faith it's as if it is our place to dictate to God we have to tell God God I believe this so hard that this is what is going to happen You're going to make it happen. I've heard people say, in fact, you pray for it as if there is no doubt that it could possibly be God's will. You just go ahead and say, God, this has already happened. In your name, I say, this has already happened. The problem with that is, what if we haven't perfectly understood what God's will is? I'm not God. And as much as I try to seek God's direction, I have to always be willing to say. Lord, I am praying for this. If it be your will. Now, according to these folks, this is a prayer is a lack of faith for Jesus. You think Jesus had a lack of faith? I don't think so. This is God himself. This is the son of God. And he said, father, if it is your will. He qualified it, didn't he? That is not a lack of faith. In fact, it is ultimate faith because you are submitting your will to the will of God. You are saying, God, I trust you so much that even though I'm asking for this, I do so acknowledging that only you are God. Only you perfectly know. Only you perfectly see what is right And best. And then he said, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He was willing to submit himself to what the will of God would be. We should be that way too. This is not a lack of faith to trust God never believe that somehow it is a lack of faith to trust that God's will is right it always will be and so Jesus said not my will but yours be done now if Jesus prayed that way how much more should we pray that way we should be willing to submit ourselves To God's will what we want what we feel so deep inside what our emotions tell us what we so desperately want for ourselves or for people that we love sometimes it's just not in God's timing or it's just not his will and we have to be willing to accept that his will is always perfect And praise God, in this case, Jesus didn't let the cup pass from him. We would not have salvation. There'd be no hope for us if that cup had passed from Jesus. The will of the Father was right. And because of that, because Jesus went on and drank that cup fully and gave his life for us and rose from the dead, We have eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So praise God. He was willing to say, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. God's will is accompanied by God's strength. Notice that when he prayed that, it says an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. The father was taking care of his son. He strength. He was strengthened. An angel appeared to strengthen him. I don't know if God sends angels to strengthen us. Maybe he does and we don't even know it. But God sometimes works through people at just the right moment, at just the right time to speak a word of encouragement and love or to pray for you when you don't even know they're praying for you. Be sure, though, that whatever God's will is, if you're willing to follow his will for your life, he will provide the strength for you to accomplish that will. He always will do so. And then in verses 44 to 46, we see God's will supplied God's grace. Being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground now it does say as it were or like great drops of blood of course there's great there's great debate over whether this is saying jesus literally had had drops of blood falling from his head that is possible there is i'm no doctor but I, in all the commentaries i've read that there is a medical condition a person can be in such distress emotional distress they can that the, they can literally have Uh, blood that uh, comes through the sweat glands it's possible that that's what happened here or it may mean that Jesus prayed so earnestly he was in such distress that the sweat became like if you see drops of blood falling either way what it's saying is Jesus was in agony here He suffered in that garden. In a sense, he went through in his mind what he was about to go through in his body. And here he came to the place where he was willing to go forward. Jesus did that for you. He did that for me. And when he rose, it says, verse 45, from prayer, and had come to the disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow then he said to them why do you sleep rise and pray lest you enter into temptation and so he begins by talking about temptation he ends by talking about temptation there was great temptation in that place but jesus rose above it and was willing to look into that cup and say father your will be done. And when he got up, he went forward. And we're going to see in the weeks ahead all that he did. But he had set his face to that cross to become your Savior and mine. This is the, the agony of Gethsemane. And the love of God that was so great, he was willing to give his life for us. Would you pray with me? We thank you, Lord, so much for what is recorded here. We thank you for letting us see just a glimpse of what you felt and saw and went through in that garden. Lord, we pray that you'll help us to learn from your example, your willingness to give your life That God's will, the will of the Father, would be accomplished. That we might be saved. Your willingness, Lord, to, to say, not my will, but yours be done. May we always say that to you. We pray in this time now of invitation and decision that you will lead us. There may be decisions that need to be made here. Perhaps you've been moving in someone's heart either just today or maybe for a long time. Lord, when we see what you did for us, how can we hold back from doing whatever you ask us to do? So, Lord, give courage now to each heart. and May we respond to you publicly or privately, however you would lead us. May your will be done in these moments. And we'll trust you to work in our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen.